so welcome to this special edition NHS Voices interview, which is being recorded as part of the NHS Reset campaign. I'm Ken Taylor, Service User Representative for the Mental Health Network Board. Today, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Julie Hankin, Chair of the Mental Health Medical Directors Forum, about her vision for the future mental health provision as a senior clinical leader. Julie is the Executive Medical Director at Nottinghamshire Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust. That's right, Julie, isn't it? That's right. And a fellow member of the Mental Health Network Board. Just to give a quick introduction to today's conversation, the impact of COVID-19 on mental health services will be felt long after the physical health emergency subsides. From a service user perspective, whilst we're in the midst of COVID-19 crisis with many changes, concerns and uncertainties, it does really feel that we're at a crossroads of how services are going to meet both current and future needs. It's clear that the health and care system cannot go back to business as usual following this pandemic. A thought that really leaves me apprehensive on the one hand, but also quite optimistic for a change on the other. So today, I'm looking forward to finding out more about what that future might look like for mental health services. And with that, let's get started. Hi, Julie. Hi, Ken. Um, here's my first question. Uh, we've seen that mental health sector adapt to the current crisis in many ways, notably by increasing digital access to services. How do you rate the effectiveness of the increased use of digital and what lessons do you think we can use to take it going forward? So I think this is probably the biggest change that people have actually experienced day to day, both staff and patients. And I think some of the increased digital isn't completely new. It was very much indicated in the long term plan. It's things we've been talking about for a long time, but we didn't anticipate quite such a change in speed of roll out and move to it. And I think it's been quite variable. So I think there's some elements of it that have worked brilliantly and we've definitely been able to, to keep closely in contact with people that we might not have been able to through the current situation. I think we've also seen, unsurprisingly, there are some real challenges, both in terms sometimes of the technology. So in areas where signal's not good, where bandwidth doesn't work out, it, it can be really challenging and it's really challenging for some individuals. So I think what we have to do is accept this isn't going to be a blanket. One thing fits everybody. For some people, digital works really well and actually will fit much better with them maintaining employment or or moving forward. And I can think of a lot of outpatients, people I've worked with over the years who would love it. I think there are also people who really struggle with it and don't like that distanced approach and I think the key is going to be having a choice how do we have that option of digital or telephone or face-to-face -face? and it's not something that's imposed on people but we're able to work towards again it might be something that changes over time one of the things we're finding is digital works much better if you already know someone and have a relationship with them so it may be more about follow-ups and ongoing work with somebody that you already know, rather than that initial meeting, which can be quite hard digitally. And I think one of the key things throughout all of it is going to be making sure that we don't increase inequalities, because there's a real danger that the people who get left out if we move to an all digital world are those who are already most disadvantaged yes. and don't have access to that. So that's been a real focus of work in all the trusts as well, making sure that we're not actually creating a two-tier system where some people have better access than they had 
but some have worse. I think we're seeing some interesting changes as well with what it's doing internally, which actually will help access. So we're now able to have meetings of professionals across organisations, doing supervision, things like that, that we really struggled with before because everyone had to get to the same place. That's now happening really easily, and I don't see us going back from that. But that frees up clinicians' time to be able to spend on that day-to-day -day contact with service users, and I think that will help access overall as well. But I think the biggest thing is that continual evaluation now as we're trying out new things, not assuming that we've got it right, but working with the service users, the families, the people who are on the receiving end of it, and being clear what's working, what isn't, and adjusting it and keeping working with that. Yeah, I mean, as, as somebody who's really struggled with the digital side of CMI psychiatrists, mm. um, I'd be concerned that it becomes a default position to go down the digital line because it's perhaps quicker uh, to use that approach than to doing face-to-face. -face. I don't think it default. will be default. I think there are there's as, I'm hearing as much from clinicians saying pretty much exactly the same thing. There are things that go on in a face-to-face -face consultation that you just can't replicate in the same way yeah. on digital. And I think both clinicians and patients, it won't be. But if you think about it, in a longer term relationship, there's there's elements of what we do that could work well over digital mm. that might keep make things work yeah. better, smoother keep contacts, particularly those sort of more monitoring maintenance rather than very acute work. Mm. But I think no matter what you can't get away from, we, we wouldn't have been able to have anything like as much contact yeah. with patients at the moment in the current situation. It's getting it right for where we end up. Absolutely. And in, in terms of getting it right for where we end up, how do you see service users being involved in the designing of the future service? So my hope is that we can use this to really build on what we've done and actually take it that next step again. I think mental health has always prided itself to a certain level on service user involvement and engagement. But I think we both know and I'm sure have seen situations where that can still feel tokenistic even now and not sufficient. I think we need to use this as our challenge to say so if we are hitting a real period of transformation, and moving forward at speed. <clears throat> How do we make this more involvement and engagement rather mm. than less? Yeah. And can we use that to do that real jump from involvement, but that can equal, we'll tell you what we're going to do, mm -hmm. into actual creating it together yeah. and focusing on that. I think there's going to be some real advantages. And what it is driving is that focus on local Mm -hmm. to a level that we haven't had before. And I think as soon as you move back to a very local focus, then it becomes much easier to identify who are the people who should be in that conversation and how do you work with them. And I think that's an area as well that digital may actually help us because we do struggle with how do you reach wide numbers of people and really to join up with a, a population on a wider scale about what are the needs and wants and feelings. So I think we could have much more of a raft of moving everything from sort of the big meetings, focus groups like we tend to have, but much wider surveys as well, ways for people to be able to come in and give their opinion in ways that suit them. And do you see the so, primary care networks as part of that? 
Absolutely. Yes. I mean, it's been an interesting time for them as they were just coming into to being at the start mm. of all of this. But again, I think actually having to work through all this and work together has strengthened them in most places. And again, they give that ability to say, so what's our local? How do we focus yeah. on that? How does that link to the outcomes that we want to achieve nationally? So I think with anything, we could make it better or worse, but I think there's real mm -hmm. opportunities for making it much better. I'm extremely optimistic about it. I think there's a real ch chance, a real opportunity here to bring about a, ch a change uh, for the better for service users and for the staff as well. Um, yeah. Can it and I think the real Sorry. shared vision about where we're trying to go. I don't think there's yeah. any difference in what we want to achieve. So hopefully doing it together will be much stronger. Mm. Can I go on to a point that the Centre for Mental Health, um, they published, the Centre for Mental Health published that in the next two years, COVID-19 is likely to increase the number of people in Britain experiencing a mental health problem, which we've just touched on. Mm -hmm. There's also the potential um, for, and the real concern for CAMS to be see one of the largest increases in demand. Um, how do you see this demand being met? So I don't think we have a clear answer to that yet. And I think that's probably one of our biggest concerns, certainly as a group of medical directors looking at, at the work and talking to the centre. I think we are very clear we're seeing the start of that surge now. We're seeing that increased demand come in. And some concerns still that that increased demand is happening, but people are anxious about contacting services, either because of risk of infection or thinking that services aren't up and running. So there's a combination of how we we encourage people to be in contact, that the services are there and should be contacted, but also how we get that modelling right about what's the demand going to be, what's our capacity and how we meet it. And I think we need to accept that surge isn't going to be a crisis surge. It's not yeah. going to be short term. This is about huge changes to how we're all living, what people are experiencing. And I think we're going to see a much larger surge that stays at an increased demand, particularly if we see a lot of economic fallout with redundancies, loss of finance, et cetera. So I think a lot of it, what we definitely do see is that commitment to understanding there is going to be a surge and an increase and that we need to, to meet it. I think that's driving that modelling, but it, the the key bit is going to be about do we actually see resources coming across to it? I think there is an element within that, though, of services have to do their part as well. This needs to drive forward faster the transformation paths we're already on. It shouldn't be just more of what we're already doing because we knew we thought we could improve on that anyway. And I think thinking really differently about how we work with primary care, with schools, with all the other settings, particularly for CAMS, as you mentioned, all those other settings where we can influence and support access for young people. How do we think differently about that? And as, as part of, of that, the, the ability to change, move, shift the NHS around to bring about these changes, not taking years and years to do that, but do it in the short term. Absolutely. And that's been the interesting. Is that possible? Last. Well, we've certainly seen the last few months we can move differently and move away from organisational structures and do things at speed. And I think 
there's definitely a desire to not see us go back into rigid structures. I think it is a danger that that we will because things are still set up in contracting modes in other structures that drag us back into that. But certainly I'm hearing an awful lot of dialogue about how do we not lose this? How do we use this to move to true system working at speed and stop being so focused on what organisation it is compared to what's the need and how we provide it? That's one of the key issues that's come out of this is that inequalities have had disproportionate effects on certain groups such as BAME. How will you mitigate against that in the future? So again, I think we're very clear about the problem. I think we're less clear about the solution. And it's it's a problem that we've been working on now for 10, 15 years without necessarily reaching that solution. But what I think this has given us is a clearer focus again and commitment that it needs to be addressed. I think what we were working on very much before all of this was what the shift to population health would give us in terms of addressing inequalities and really starting to understand it in a different way through more of a public health lens mm. as well as an individual lens. And I think that in some ways now needs to be speeded up and move forward as, as we move into it. And again, that pulls you back to that very local system working. I think what, what the current situation has particularly flagged up is also, of course, the issues for those BAME staff in terms of within clinical workforce, as we've seen that disproportionate yeah. effect. But I wonder whether actually there's a conversation we're going to have to have about do we need to rethink where our inequalities are, whether the care home discussion, particularly over the last few weeks, would suggest we have another area where people potentially are experiencing inequality, but we wouldn't necessarily have put into that conversation initially. Okay, thank you. Clearly, there's been a huge impact on st staff wellbeing uh, during the COVID-19 uh, crisis. How will we support staff in the future, um, as well as currently, in terms of their own mental wellbeing? So again, I think this is one we'd already started pretty much all trusts doing a huge amount of work about before all of this and this has just intensified it and I think what we need to do is make sure we don't just focus on clinical staff as well that I think it's easy to underestimate the impact for all of those all of the other people who help us keep our hospitals running and actually we're as dependent on our housekeepers and porters and all those other staff who've been in here making sure that we're up and running and that's really stressful on them I think we've got wellbeing offers in place across the trusts. I think what they're going to have to do is focus more in terms of some of that supporting people following trauma, whether that's sort of the experience of COVID or where we go to in the future. I think what we have seen is much wider use of different communication channels for staff. So the use of Facebook pages, the use of, again, so back to some of yeah. that digital as, as at least giving ways for staff both to support each other, but also to have far more of a voice and an impact back in. And I think that will, will help. But I think a lot of my concern would be, again, it's back to that danger of if we have an increased demand, but we don't either change how we're working or have more resource, that's just going to be more and more demand and workload coming into a workforce that we're already struggling. And I think that's when we really 
we'll see a huge problem if we can't address that. And I think, again, coming back to how do we take that as a wider conversation as well? How do we start thinking about care home staff and other staff as per, which I don't think we've been good enough at. Okay, thank you. Andy, what's your greatest concern for the future of mental health provision in the UK post COVID-19? So I think my greatest concern is that we don't take the advantages and the opportunities now that we have and we watch that increase in demand come but without changing anything to address it. That would be my greatest fear. I think if we don't see this as a fundamental change in provision, in demand, in the need, rather than a short-term crisis that we'll just come out of and go back to the status quo, then we will, we will not achieve what we need to. But I think there are also huge opportunities in it that are really exciting to move far more at speed into all of that work we've already been trying to move to around system, around population health, around co-creating solutions on at a local level that people are fully engaged with and moving away from some of those silos we work in so that it's not just about health, it's about health and care, but as a single unified thing. And it's not about mental health services over here in one corner, but your GP is in another corner. How we actually move to a completely different paradigm of how we deliver those services that mean we focus on what it is we should be delivering, not the needs of the organisations that deliver them. I fully agree. And the whole process of co-production needs to be a part of that moving Absolutely. forward with service users at the centre of that decision making process. And that's the core of how we get to something different. If we do it the way we've always done it, we'll get what we've always had. Mm. This is our opportunity to say we could do something really different and really exciting and get mm. to a better place. So that's the end of the questions. Um, that brings us to the end of our conversation today. Although there is definitely more to focus on in the future and discuss. I uh, just want to thank you very much indeed, Julie, for taking part and sharing us your views with us. I'm Ken Taylor, and this is the NHS Voices interview recorded as part of the NHS Reset campaign. To find out more about the campaign, please go to nhsconfed.org forward slash NHS Reset. Thank you very much.